As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you attract sustainable partnerships to support your aquaculture business? This episode is dedicating to answer that question. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listen to the previous episodes, I've interviewed some of the experts in the industries. We've amalgamated the top trends and the top challenges in the business. Welcome to episode four, season two of the Business of Aquaculture. I'm so delighted we have with us today the Yield Lab. Claire Pribula and Larry Taylor. This episode, I'm so delighted to interview you guys because I didn't realize that this institute actually existed. The Yield Love Institute drives sustainable agri-food tech innovation globally. They believe that sustainably feeding the growing global population will require an increase in diverse innovation entrepreneurs, and startups in the area of agri-food technology. We have with us today, again, Welcome, Claire and Larry. Claire is the Managing Director of the Yield Lab Asia-Pacific, capitalizing on impactful and sustainable technologies towards the food and agricultural production chain. She has qualifications as a venture capitalist, agribusiness, and skilled in driving significant increases in profitability by leveraging business synergies and innovation to build new companies and corporate lines of business. Larry has 40 years of experience as a senior international executive building businesses in global markets. Larry's professional career has encompassed a wide variety of international experiences, a startup in Indonesia, marketing in Taiwan, China, Singapore, Korea, Thailand, and India. General management in Japan was of a 200 million US dollar agriculture business. Welcome to the show, guys. I'm so excited. I'm so nervous. I'm making all these mistakes. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's all right. I'm just glad you said my last name properly. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Lords. Welcome again to the show. So let's get this ball rolling. So maybe we'll get started with, I started season one with the top trends. And then this season two, I'm asking our guests to probably give us insights and your experts views on some of the challenges that the industry is facing. So I'd like to start right off the bat with the question is, what is your advice to small businesses wanting to embark on sustainable aquaculture and or green technology? Okay, I'll take this one first. Thanks, Lords. And 
And thank you for the lovely introduction. You know, Larry and I are the co-founders of the Yield Lab Asia-Pacific Fund, which is a venture capital fund focusing on early stage seed and Series A investment. Also, we have a not-for-profit side called the Institute, which is what we are running as far as the Global Aquaculture Challenge. So the Institute is not-for-profit. We are, the Yield Lab Asia-Pacific is supporting the Institute in doing this nonprofit Global Aquaculture Challenge. I just wanted to make that distinction there. As far as the you know, advice to small businesses is kind of <laughs> around focusing on ag tech or aquaculture, it's kind of the reason why we were created in the first place. So the Yield Lab, which is now a global federation of funds in the, in the U.S., North America, Europe, Latin America, and now Asia Pacific, was created because the early stage investment vehicle is really more geared towards the tech industry, more light touch. Everything in, in ag, agriculture, aquaculture, and for us, agriculture is includes animal health with aquaculture, crop science, precision ag, animal health, sustainability, traceability, and food ingredients, all of it. Everything in what I just described has a growing season, so you can't rush it. But also within each of these sub-pillars, it's very needy, very deep in the knowledge required to understand the relevance of the innovation, let alone be able to help these companies. And it's for that reason that we were created. We're all of the industry, from the industry, 20, 30-year relationships. I encourage small businesses that are looking at an innovation that they've got, they're creating, and they want to advance is to get yourself with and align yourself with an early stage VC that's in and of the industry. Get someone who can help not only you with just the capital. Capital is, yes, I mean, that's important. But also having that knowledge and industry relationships to help you get to commercialization. Commercialization is something and someone that's going to stay with you for the long haul. It's something that in that case, money can't buy. So it's like a twofer. Find someone that's got not only the ability to do early stage investment, but also the knowledge base and isn't of the industry. If you're going to survive, you're going to have to be able to get someone that understands those pain points, somebody who's got those relationships that can help to close the gap with the strategic companies and the R&D that are more than likely going to reinvest in you or even acquire your innovation. Most companies in ag tech and aquaculture will not go public. They're going to be acquired. So the faster you can close that gap, the better. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing through our vast global network and helping to take these innovations and through our network of federation of funds, be able to pull these innovations globally. If you can, find somebody that is also global in their presence because your addressable market is not just where you're sitting. Your total addressable market is going to be, if it's a smallholder farmer solution, it's going to be in Asia Pacific, it's going to be in Africa, it's going to be in Latin America. So try to get somebody that can pull you and help you with great velocity get into these other addressable markets as fast as possible. That's wonderful. I really never thought about that way, Claire, when you mentioned about, you know, you can't rush it. And as we know, with alliances and federation, it takes time to build those relationships. So that's wonderful. What's your take on this, Larry? I just think there are so many resources out there that these young entrepreneurs can reach to, whether it's their local or join the global organizations. There are lots of resources available. And hopefully, such as our challenge, there was it was quite competitive, but hopefully we'll be able to repeat and include others uh, the next round. 
Sounds great. And I like that you mentioned about the challenge with our initial conversation. You talked about how many ended up joining and then you're now at the eight finalists, which I know the grand finale would be on October 7. Yes, there were 180 applications, which is about double what we normally experience. And it took quite a bit of time. We calculated that the total amount of subject matter experts invested in doing the selection was on the order of 600 hours in order to be able to do the analysis and select the ones that would be going through the program. Wow, that's amazing. Well, we're going to discuss that about a little bit later. So I go to my next question would be, I know you guys are globally, so it's very pertinent that one of the challenges that people have in the industry is government rulings. And so how would you solve the bureaucracy challenge that regulates the industry so the business is not hampered? We have some thoughts on that. So oftentimes the bureaucracy and regulations are seen as hampering or in the way. But we like to think of this as if we have well-designed compliance they're not going to be a hindrance. And a way to get that is through some of the organizations which really work in this direction. One of our favorites is the organization that's newly been rebranded as the GSA, Global Seafood Alliance, previously widely known as GAA, Global Aquaculture Alliance. And if you look on their their website, they talk about building trust in seafood. The entire purpose of their programming is to allow the quality not only to be achieved at production, but also have the credibility by the consumer. And in order to achieve that, they have certification processes. They're not the only one, but they're ones that we collaborate with closely. And they're widely known that the BAP and BSP, the best aquaculture practices and best seafood practices, contribute to create this well-designed compliance so that, yes, there is a cost of time and some money to follow the regulations, but it's a way that's industry-driven. You'll be able to read FAO's point on this. Uh, They call it private standards. Private standards are then going to be designed by the industry themselves. It's voluntary compliance. And that way, the implementer doesn't have to feel they're being imposed upon because these are designed by the industry itself. Sounds great. I would like to be a devil's advocate and add a question on that. One of the things that I always mention in the podcast interview is, you know, we're now in a society and I know Japan launched this. It's called Business 5.0, Entrepreneurship 5.0. We're in, you know, 1.0 was the hunter-gatherer stage, 2.0 was agrarian, 3.0 was information technology. And we're now at a point where in some of the rulings, and I can relate to this coming from Canada, are still 1.0 and government cannot catch up. And so even though some farmers are complying, the rulings are not are sometimes not applicable anymore because it's not been updated. So what can you say about that? And this is the reason why a large organization that can amalgamate the opinions and the data and presents to the regulating authorities has credibility because they are a neutral party. I came from a history in the regulated sciences for agriculture and in the pesticide world. And there was sort of an adversarial adversarial relationship between the regulators and the science and, and commercial community. But by creating relationships through these large organizations, you have a forum by which you can present your data. And obviously, the, the people who are in the 
regulatory world would not be aware of the most front edge science because that's not their job. So therefore you need this platform to introduce the newest of technologies to the people who are responsible to protect society and nature from whatever is new. And that's a good tension if there are these platforms for good discussion. That's so brilliant what you shared, because I remember all the time in any industry, you know, if you have more voices than just one, I love the word that you used was conglomerate because, and also not being making government evil, but having them as an alliance together with a bigger platform will sure make traction. So thank you for saying that. So did you have any take on that, Claire? Or you're on the same page with Larry? I'm completely aligned. (laughs) So my next question is, what is one thing you think will still be here and will not change a decade from now? And I ask this question because in the first season, I ask everybody, what's the future trend? So for this and I'm asking everybody what's not going to change. And this is in line again with what I've been talking about on the podcast in terms of, you know, the techs that you mentioned, you know, green tech, fintech, medtech, space tech now, and edtech. And with aquaculture technology, all the technology seems to be like it's going to be changing because it's so fast paced. So what do you guys think that's not going to change? Well, I think it's pretty fair to say that after only 12,000 years, Agriculture is just now getting the attention it deserves. So I think it's fair to say that in 10 years, with over 10 billion people to feed, we'll still be looking for ways to produce more highly nutritious food with less. We will be adapting along the way to climate changes that we can't control. And this great digitization of this last trillion dollar industry to be transformed is going to be continuing to be underway. There's so many different components of agriculture. If you just look at this question of yours, and I thought about it from a venture capital perspective, let's just look at it from that way. Ag tech right now is just a small portion of the VC deals at $4 billion for our ag tech investments for the full year of 2020, which is still just a fraction of the $300 billion invested globally across all sectors. So if you look at this just at, at in the U.S., let's look at that a little bit more definitively. Let's just take the U.S. in Q1 of 2021. There were only 380 ag tech investments with aquaculture making up just a tiny fraction of those 300 deals, which although it's a great, it's to see that ag tech agriculture across the board has increased from just only 30 investments in 2015, which was the reason why we were created to 300. So that's good news, you know, in, you know, what, six years. But aquaculture is just still just a fragment. So it's such a very stark contrast to the internet industry with over 25,000 deals in the same quarter, just in the quarter in the U.S. So I think it's fair to say that we got a lot of work to do. (laughs) over these next 10 years. And I think we're going to be looking for uh, continuing to look for more and better ways to do more with less because we're going to have less if we don't do more (laughs) to try to turn this back. Things that we can't control like the climate and other things and the population growth. So I think that we'll still be at it 10 years from now. I think that Hopefully, we will have accomplished a great deal. And we started off by talking about aquaculture. I hope that we will be accomplishing a great deal to get 
aquaculture investments and innovations and driving inefficiencies out of this industry across all species at a rapid pace over these next 10 years so that we're all having access to fresh, highly nutritious, fast-growing protein that comes out of the all species of the aquaculture industry. Wow, those numbers are mind-blowing, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> and no, that's just really one good. quarter. That's just one quarter. Oh, wow. Okay, now I'm speechless. So maybe <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the Global Aquaculture Challenge and your experience about it. I know you mentioned a while ago that you guys were very surprised to have 180 applications compared to half of what you were expecting. So tell us about all these experiences. I'm so excited about it. I'm hearing all these challenges all over the internet. So I was so pumped when I heard that we actually have an aquaculture challenge. Yeah, you know, the aquaculture challenge, and I'll let Larry weigh in too, that The aquaculture challenge was born out of our proactive looking at all aspects of agriculture and where there needs to be more focus and attention. And aquaculture is one of those industries, except for the high-end salmon industry, has a great deal of work to be done across all species. There's, you know, animal health issues in different species. There's a, a high percentage of smallholder farmers that don't even have sensors in the water, let alone being able to do innovation that's precision analytics or predictive analytics or using IoT of any sort. So there's just so much opportunity for growth in this industry. And that's the reason why the Yield Lab took this focus as our next challenge. And our challenges are run just as we do our equity taking side. So they're over the course of a year. We're applying deep subject matter experts, working with these companies that get selected that make it into the cohort. They're getting access to the best and the brightest in the industry one-on-one to help them either finish their science, helping them with their their technology, helping them to advance their presence in the industry, to get closer connections to the strategics, many different aspects. They all come in. Some have come in with funding. Some have come with never having any external funding. And that's what's exciting about this global aquaculture challenge is that, you know, we're picking the best innovations, but some of them are a little bit more nascent to being ready for a venture capital. But at the end of this, they all are. And they're actually all getting in front of investors. So although it's non-dilutive, there will be one winner at the end that wins the grand prize. This is all sponsored, external sponsorship, because like I said, it's a not-for-profit. So we need to utilize external sponsorships to run it. But in the end, they're all getting along the way value through the technology providers that are giving them free access to services and technology, as well as this mentoring. And at the end, everybody gets follow-on investment, which is great. And that's what this is about. This is about helping to stimulate innovation and advance it. And then hopefully we, the Yield Lab, want to invest in some of these companies and others. Well, so it's our give back to the industry, but it's also our stimulation of innovation focusing on aquaculture globally. Larry, you want to add in? I would just add that we're so pleased that the global participation from a sponsorship point of view. So for instance, we had a Chilean organization called Salmon Sustentable to come on as a sponsor to provide one of the prizes with a tailor-made development program for that market. Similarly, in the Middle East, we had uh, uh, Aquabridge come on and offer a, that kind of a program and Enterprise Singapore for the Asia market. So we have the world covered in terms of interests and sponsorships to get the word out. And IBM in regards to technology? 
and, and IBM for technology helping globally. And similarly, the experts who are participating to provide the mentoring are from all over the world, the World Wildlife Fund, the Aquaculture Innovation Center in, in Singapore, totally global in terms of the expertise that's being presented to these companies on a one-on-one basis. And so this different from some of these challenges, which are very short-term for purposes of getting these companies in front of the investor class at a conference, what this does is a more extended program that's based on the standard yield lab process. That's amazing. So you guys check out www.globalaquachallenge.com for this event's virtual finale, 8 a.m. Central Time in North America, in Canada and the U.S. on October 7. That is so wonderful, you guys. I am so pumped about this challenge. My biggest takeaway from this episode is I really loved what you guys talked about, collaboration, strategic alliances, partnerships. And this is very much in line on how to bridge the gap between what I guess 1.0 and 5.0 is going to be about is to have these partnerships together so that we can bring the industry together to the next level. Thank you so much for being here. How do they get in touch with you? Well, they can reach out to either of us, Claire at theyieldlab.com or Larry at theyieldlab.com. We're pretty easy to be reached. And thank you for mentioning the date of October 7th, which is our global aquaculture finale. At that, you're going to see innovation that's just unbelievable. I mean, there's innovation that spans uh, animal health, that spans wetland habitats and providing a circular farming system. You've got different species that are being covered with these solutions, tilapia, barramundi, shrimp, salmon, halophytes, different technologies, water, IoT, nutrition, health. They're spanning the globe, like, like Larry mentioned, Argentina, Chile, Israel, Canada, US, UK, Singapore, Indonesia. We are just so proud of these companies. And you know, please come and listen to them. The innovations that they have are spectacular. And I think that it, you'll find it a very enjoyable and suspenseful on who's going to win this amazing challenge. Any last words, Larry? No, thank you. I will see you on October 7th. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> to our subscribers, do leave a review of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, thank you, Lars. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.